to take it home and make it real in our lives. And so there's a little explanation on one side. On the back, there's a, uh, a thought process for each day. And it's all built around a, a reality. For most of us, the proper way to pray is to stand or sit and bow our head. Nowhere found in Scripture. You know that, right? When they prayed, they lift their faces, or they bow down to the ground, or they raise their hands. But sitting and bowing heads, or standing and bowing heads, not found. We saw some of the things, so much of what we do comes from that passage in Nehemiah that we read earlier. Uh, we have uh, children's time for worship. Why do we do that? You ever think about that? Nehemiah 8. Only the children old enough to understand were there in the assembly. And when the word was read, everybody stood. And they stood for the whole time that they read from Moses. And the people shouted, Amen, Amen. They raised their hands and then they didn't bow their heads while they were standing. But they prostrated themselves and bowed their heads. So... We're not going to try to nudge folks to do something they're uncomfortable with in the assembly. But we do challenge you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not something we invented. That's Jesus' word. And here's a way to practice that in your private time. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was out with my uh, longbow sitting in a tree... Uh, deer were starting to come in. In fact, one literally walked right under me in a, in a tree stand, a little nubbin. And there were six more coming in. And at 7 o'clock at night, guess what happened? The alarm went off on my phone. <laughs> to remind me to pray for our seven commitments. Now, the nubbin couldn't see me because the camo but he was looking around and the other did they didn't run off because this is in glade water and they're used to being around people but they quit coming in so my wife told me she said i think they must have prayed before you did (laughs) (laughs) but it's a reminder and i'm in this with you that this is a weekly daily thing as we seek to grab a hold and make these commitments real Today we're talking about loving God. If you want to have a Bible open, you'll uh, want to have it open to Luke 7. That's going to be our focus passage. And uh, it's a great, great story that uh, I hope you're familiar with. We are talking about mission and vision here at Pine Tree. Uh, I am the designated yacker around the Bible source. But we're going to hear from a member of the congregation in each one of these lessons, just like last week as we did Commitment 7, focusing on mission. I want to remind you what that mission statement is. Out of the overflow of God's love and grace, we believe that he is calling Pine Tree to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. If you think of the, the mission statement that the church has lived by for the last five, six, eight years, uh, this is just an enrichment of that. To make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. If you look at your bulletin, you see 
This statement reflected on the very first page of your bulletin. I'll let you look at that bulletin and see if you can figure out what I'm talking about. But I'll give you a hint. It starts with H, as in Honduras. Okay, just one example of how the church is living that out. As we talk about that mission to make, multiply, to make mature and multiply faithful disciples of Jesus, uh, it centers around seven commitments. We looked at the one on reaching the lost last week, and this week we're going to talk about commitment one. And uh, after I'm done and we sing an invitation song, Ben Salter, I think, is going to come share some things from his heart about his passion for us responding to God's grace and love by loving him in demonstrable ways. The best way I know to get to this is we're going we're gonna to go through Luke 7 in a powerful story. And so uh, I'm going to ask, can we dim the lights? Because I'm going to ask you to focus with your eyes and your ears on the scripture. And we're going to step through this scripture with some pictures that uh, are provided. And I think they help us enter into that in a powerful way. This is God's word from his servant Luke about our Savior. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in the town, a woman who had lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her very own tears. Then she wiped those feet with her hair. She kissed those feet. She poured perfume on them. Expensive perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus to the house saw this, he said to himself, If this man were really a prophet, he would know who it is that is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Now, don't you know this was a startle, right? Because he thought it, but Jesus answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Two people owed a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, almost two years' wage. Another owed him 50 denarii, about two months' wages. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both men. Now, Simon, which of these will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose it would be the man who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus replied, you have judged correctly. 
Then Jesus turned to the woman, but he spoke to Simon. He said, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet to clean them. But she, she wet my feet with her tears and she, she wiped those feet with her hair. You, Simon, you didn't give me the kiss on the cheek as the normal greeting. But this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. In fact, you didn't put oil on my head when I entered your house, but she put expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven. Just as her great love has shown you. But whoever has been forgiven little, they love little. Then Jesus turned to the woman and he said to her, Yes, your sins have been forgiven. Other guests at the meal heard Jesus say this and they began to grumble among themselves, Who is this that even thinks he can forgive sins? But Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go and enter my peace. If you listen to Luke's words carefully, He's a careful wordsmith, the most careful writer in the New Testament with the richest vocabulary. And if you listen to him carefully, you notice that he indicates this woman, this woman who had been a center of the city, and everybody knew what that meant in that day, and we kind of know what it means today. Luke indicates that she had been forgiven before the meal. Twice he says her sins have been forgiven. It's a perfect tense. It means it's something that happened in the past, but it continues to the present. You see that emphasized in verse 47 and 48. So her coming to the meal is not to get forgiven, but her coming to the meal, this place where she knows she will be ridiculed, this house of ridicule for her. She comes to this meal because she wants to show her love for Jesus. And love, we know, is both risky and extravagant because that's the way love is, isn't it? I had a conversation just a few days ago with a young woman so accomplished professionally so careful with her morality. And she had left town for about three months before she left. For six months, a young man had been trying to get her attention. And she just kind of put him off. But as she was gone three months, she began to realize her heart really missed this guy. 
So she comes back and she wants to meet for coffee and she's tried a couple of times and he's been too busy. And so now she's left with this risky proposition. Do I really tell him how I feel and risk rejection? Or do I play it safe and possibly live with regrets for never acting on my feelings? Almost everybody in here that's any age at all knows that risk. And love is risky because when you risk loving someone, you know you're going to be hurt. And you know you're going to be hurt because they're going to embarrass you. Or they're going to hurt your feelings. Or they may not do something that is important to you. Or they may do something that really irritates you. And sometimes they're going to be selfish, just like you are. And in life, you know sooner or later, one or the other of you is going to leave before the other. Even our wedding ceremonies, until death do us part, there's a major owie, a major hurt somewhere. In the future of real deep love. And then parents have a different set of options. A different set of worries. Love is risky, but love is also extravagant. It leads us to do crazy things. This young lady sent me a series of icons or emojis. Uh, as she was talking about this. And they went from all over the map to... This look of expectation to this look of jumping up and down to this look of hair on fire. Those are the emotions of love. It's risky and it's extravagant. We'll do all sorts of things for love. One of the greatest Christmas stories ever told was told by O. Henry in an article in New York. And he tells a story about Jim and Della, a young couple, and they're down to a dollar sixty-seven between them. They paid all their bills, they have a little food in the fridge, but as Christmas comes, they don't have any money. And really, the only things of value that they had were her long, beautiful hair that she had never cut that went down below her waist. And he had a family heirloom pocket watch passed down from father to son from father to son from father to son as Christmas approached both of them realized that they didn't have anything to get the other a gift but they so much wanted to show their love for the other that unbeknownst to either of them they went out and bought an extravagant gift not because of the cost on the price tag, but on the cost to them personally. Della, the young woman, went and had all of her beautiful hair chopped off and took the money and went out and bought a beautiful chain so that she could give it to her husband to put on his precious pocket watch. 
When he came home from work that day, Della was really scared. She thought, what if he doesn't think I'm beautiful anymore? And he comes in and, and he is shocked. What's happened to your hair? What have you done? And she holds out this chain for the pocket watch. And he smiles sheepishly. And he says, I no longer have the watch. Because I sold the watch so I could buy these beautiful combs for you to put in your wonderful hair. Love is risky and extravagant. But you know the story doesn't end mourning the loss of hair or the mourning of a loss of a pocket watch. The story ends with a realization of being loved. A love that is risky and extravagant. That's what that woman did with Jesus. She made herself open to ridicule because she expressed her love in demonstrative, powerful ways that others wouldn't understand. And she knew her past would be drug up and thrown in her face. But when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's important to be risky. We have brothers and sisters that have already met today. They're 12 to eight hours ahead of us in places that it's very risky to show your love to Jesus. I've got several translators Anytime they assemble with Christians in India or Pakistan or Egypt, they know it could be their last time on earth to do so. But they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They remember the gift he's given, and how can they not praise his name? How can they not say how much they love him? Because he came from, do it with me, heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, we're going to love God, risky and extravagant, and lift his name on high. Love is risky and extravagant. But there's a truth that we need to realize. We can't outlove God. We can't outlove God. He's already done extravagance towards us. And he's already done risk towards us. He sent Jesus and he knew that we could accept or reject his gift. He gave up the treasure of heaven so that he wouldn't have to be without you and me. We can't out-love God. Why? Because God loves us. And he loves us first. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And this is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us first. And he gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only does God love us first, but he loves us more. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So that we could be his children. And Jesus could be our brother. 
He loves us even when we don't love Him. Romans 5, 6 through 11, a powerful passage. Our resume to get into heaven. We were weak. We were enemies. We were sinners. And while we were those things, God shows His love for us by sending Jesus His Son. He loves us when we don't love Him. He loves us by even helping us to love. Romans 5, 5 says that when we're Christians, the Holy Spirit within us empowers us. It pours, the Spirit pours God's love into our hearts so we can share it with each other and with God. God loves us always. There's nothing in height or depth, heaven or hell, east or west, Nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's no wonder that that's the number one most important command, is it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And when asked, Jesus said, that's the most important one. That's what it's all about. Worship is just the love language that we have to offer ourselves to God. And it's also not surprising that Jesus says the way we show our love for God is the clearest sign that we know we have received his forgiveness and his grace. So when we talk about love... We recognize it's the first commitment that we have as brothers and sisters of each other, as a church, as the younger brothers and sisters of Jesus, as the children of God. It's our number one commitment. We will cultivate a deeper love for God that motivates and compels us to action, living each day in His service. And as your leaders flesh that out, they talked about what that means. We will experience a deeper connection with God resulting from time in His Word, prayer, fasting, meditation, and service towards others. That's what each of these commitments each week is about, is spending time in the Word, in prayer. We've called you to fasting and service towards others. We will continually nurture hearts of praise full of humble appreciation and gratitude for all that God has done. We want to affirm this risky, extravagant response to God. Third, we will become a people who bear good fruit naturally because we are rooted deeply in God and empowered by His Spirit. The good in me, the good in us, the good in you is the good that has come from Him and from our realization of what he has done and who he is. Well, we've talked about love being risky and extravagant. Most people in here know the Bible well enough to know there's another woman that comes and anoints Jesus' feet. It's toward the end of his ministry. And Judas, because he was the money keeper of the group and was greedy and he stole from the money book, the money pocketbook of the apostles. 
when he sees this extravagant gift given to Jesus, he says, this money would have been better spent if it had been given to the poor. We know Judas' motives. But Jesus affirms this woman's extravagance. But I will tell you what is wasteful. You see, Jesus has already come to earth. And he has shown us the way. And while he was on earth, he went to the cross and then he went to the grave. And God has exalted him to the highest place. And most folks in this room have said, I believe that. And I trust my life to that. But there are some here today, whether it's pride or reluctance or a desire to live in sin or a disagreement over something with the church or church people, well, they've refused to ever come to Christ and receive that gift. God has risked the treasure of heaven to reach your heart. He's given you an extravagant gift. Don't let it be wasted. If you've never confessed Christ as Lord, if you've never joined with him in his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism, this is the moment. Because we want to invite you to join us in commitment one. In response to the Father's love and grace, we commit to love him. And we invite you to join us.